millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Rapport, Rogue Reports podcast, crew by our intrepid writers to talk about all things Sunderland. Today, I'm joined by Gav. Gav, how you doing? Spot on, mate. Spot on. Spot on. Copley, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad, but disappointed with the result. Graham, what about you, mate? Shite. Shite. Yeah, that's Shite. pretty succinct, actually. I'm also not too bad. Well, where do we start? I suppose it should be with Saturday's loss against Cardiff. Something that I'm getting bored of saying. Not the Cardiff bit, but certainly the loss bit. I mean, other than that brief glimpse into what we thought was a hopeful future that was a draw, a dull draw, it's been pretty shit, to be honest with you. I think it's fair to say that nobody's really happy with the current situation at Sutherland, least of all the players and the manager. So uh, I'll get the views of these lads first. Gav, what did you make of the Cardiff game, mate? Uh, again, very disappointing. I think we've, we're starting to get too comfortable with these with these defeats. And it's like when the goals are going in during the games, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't even feel angry anymore. Mm. Having, obviously, having sat watching the game from my seat, uh, I struggled somewhat with the atmosphere from the ball being kicked at the start. I think, obviously, them scoring really early had people, you know, groaning and moaning. I, I mean, I don't blame people for that whatsoever. It's just, you know, I think the the general feeling about the place is starting to it's starting to wear thin with people, and that, although it's only slight, you can you can tell people are starting to really get annoyed by what's going on around the club. The, the players just aren't aren't performing for the manager for whatever reason. I thought I thought from the start we looked very uncomfortable. Uh, the, the the Sheffield United game when we set out in the back five, we spoke afterwards on here about how uncomfortable we looked, how people just didn't look, look comfortable in the roles they were being asked to play, how the, 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 the shape of the team really just didn't seem to suit us. And again, this week we, we saw the same thing, I guess, with the back five, with the two wing-backs and then the, the two attack midfielder supporting. I mean, it just didn't work. James Vaughan seemed to, to struggle with the lack of you know quality around him and mm. um, had nobody really to play off. And, and then the, the midfield were anonymous, really, and I just... I just think that from that point onwards, it, it gave us a negative outlook. We we struggled really with with getting the ball down and playing, and then obviously they scored very early on, and then things had to change very early on again. Which was twenty minutes in the game, we switched to a back four where we've got a centre half playing right back. We've got a you know a left back playing in midfield. <laughs> we've got a right back playing left back. It's just it was all over the place. Um, yeah. And and obviously Grayson spoke after the game talking about how his team selection was changed around dinner time yesterday when three players turned in ill or injured. Yeah. Um, obviously that that doesn't help at all. It, it means that things that whatever we had planned that changed last minute. He spoke about how he had an hour before the game spoken to the players about 
Howdell would try the long ball and the flick on again behind and obviously that's how we conceded the first goal. So ultimately it was just a very poor performance, another one. And talking about the way we capitulated is just so familiar. We're not even seeing a, a glimpse of hope anymore. It's it's more of a case of you're just waiting for that first goal to go in, waiting mm. for us to fall to bits, which is exactly what happened. I think obviously we rallied after the, the penalty were won, but I mean, what if we hadn't won that penalty? It would have just been an even more negative looking result, I guess. And Grayson's kind of got to shoulder some of that blame, I think, because I mean, the, the way the team was set out was ultimately up down to him. Um, mm. uh, but, you know, I do feel for him in a way. I've wrote about this on the side since the game. I feel that, you know, he, he's up against it at the minute. He's clearly not very confident in his own ability at the minute because uh, we're seeing a very defensive team shape at home, which really we should be going out and dominating games at home. And I think everybody knows now that our home form is absolutely appalling that. Mm. But it's it's obviously a, a sore point with with Sunderland at the minute. So I'm just I'm just keen to move on to the next game. I guess it's a it's a difficult one. We're not gonna we're not gonna be able to put that right now. I think I think Ipswich is gonna be a hard game. The players really just don't look very sure of themselves. And I think the sooner that we get players like Williams, Matt Manaman, McGeady, and and even Watmore get those players in the team, maybe I'll have some hope of this change changing round. But I mean, we're in the bottom three. It's it's a real it's a real issue. We're, we're nearly a quarter of the way through the season, and we're, we're one of the you know three worst teams in the league. Nobody expected this. Nobody expected this, and the sooner results turn around, the better, I guess. We did expect, uh, yeah, we did expect a little bit more. I remember going back to when the the fewer over who was going to be the next Sunderland manager was kicking off, and hoping and expecting a little bit more than what we've got so far. So I'd agree with you there, Copley. First of all, let me thank you because you took over hosting duties for the last episode while I was out hand gliding versus terrorists for disabled children and or disabled children from impoverished backgrounds as well, because that's what I do with my spare time. But Copley, other than that, what did you make of the Cardiff game, mate? Oh, it was an absolute disaster from my point of view. Um, I mentioned when I was covering for you, covering for you last week that uh, half of my family are, are Cardiff fans. I've got a, a 10-year-old brother who goes to the games with me dad. So as you can imagine, although they're, they're about 290 miles away, I've had a fair bit of stick for them. Uh, yeah. via, via social media and texts and, and stuff like that, which is always nice. So, yes, thoroughly depressed afterwards. And I thought to myself t- today, in the absence um, of Jimmy Lawson on the podcast, um, who is usually a massive detractor of Grayson, I, fo- I thought I'd follow suit because um, I think his arguments have, have finally won me round. So I did, yeah. a bit of, I did a bit of research on Grayson and his record at the back end of his Preston career actually and he didn't well there was no win in his last six league games as a Preston boss um, and he's only had one league win in nine games as similar manager so if you do the math that's one league win in 15 games so mm. Grayson's not really doing too well at the moment um, as a league manager in the championship and, and just on the Cardiff game as well I mean our only real strength seems to be kind of stealing the ball from the opposition but then we can't keep possession of the ball and we can't really defend attacks down the wing we struggle with through balls, we struggle with counter attacks. There seems to be a lot of individual individual errors. We kind of we foul in stupid areas a lot, and I, I don't really think there's an easier team to play in the championship now than than Sunderland. It's a bit of a joke. I mean, Cardiff coming to the stadium light and having 21 temps on goal to Sunderland's 11. It's dire straits, and as Gav said, nobody really expected us a quarter of the way through the season to be in the relegation zone. And I think we're getting to a point where where change may be needed, and, and uh, that's coming from somebody who likes Grayson, who doesn't really like flippancy and who likes to give managers time, but his tactical decisions at the moment are really, really questionable. I mean, starting 5 4 one 
at home, regardless of having players out. It's not the correct formation for me. No, absolutely. What about you, Graham? What did you make of the match? It sounds daft because, of course, we're starting to be worried. I think we've been worried for a while, but I'm starting to get like genuinely worried that this season might just be that, like last season, but in a different division with like even more dire performances with smaller crowds. I, I like the idea of Grayson, and I think I've commented a few times that Grayson would be a good choice, but I'm starting to worry a little bit, like maybe he wasn't. I think when we appointed him, I thought, fair enough, he's, he's a firefighter. He, he's done it at every different club that he's been at. He's spent little money. He's always done quite well, if not fantastic. He's done okay. Uh, like Leeds, he did really well, but I just don't think he's a man that... I mean, it's not just him. Don't get me wrong. It's not just him. But he is the manager, and I don't feel any inspiration from him. Like his team selections are uninspiring. The team don't really look like they know what they're doing. And there's a lot of poor players in there, but it's not a bad squad. Not It's not bottom three. Mm. I don't think it's bottom three. And I just feel... And I mean, it's easy to hark back to the days of people like Roy Keane and Peter Reid and all that, but... I always feel like Sunderland perform well under like a really big personality like Keane, Allardyce, Peter Reid. And when we're at our lowest ebb, he came in and said the right stuff, but he's, he's just a bit uninspiring, isn't he? And it, the, the club does have a feeling of, it's not depression the way it was with like Moyes, where it was just crap. It just feels like flat. And I don't know if that's coming from obviously what's going on above Grayson, but I don't know if that's coming from Grayson as well. Like I, I don't look at him on the touchline and think, yeah, I think he knows how to fix this. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. He had to change his team like what a couple of hours before the game, but is he not paid to have like a plan B in case like shit hits the fan? Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, the contingency plans always good to have, and you would think that any manager would have that set up. I completely know what you mean when when you're talking about uninspiring tactics. Uh, it's something that we've been covering on the site anyway with Grayson's Anatomy, something that I've been writing about quite a lot actually, after every game. Yeah, tactically, he's very limited. We, they weren't really considered limitations when he first came in. It's more like simplicity, wasn't it? Tactical simplicity, going back to basics. Yeah. He's a manager that knows how to do the basics. But unfortunately, when the basics aren't working, then what do you do? You know, what, I mean? what, what's the, what is the alternative to that? I mean, going back to something Gav said about how much we're defending the way he's lining up on the fence. Obviously, we had five to begin with in that match, and that's the third game, I believe, now, with five at the back. Possibly fourth. Um, yeah, with regards to that, I can't blame him. Uh, it's not that I want to see all of those right-backs thrown on at once or anything like that, but in actuality, the first thing I came away from... I mean, I'm trying to think which match it was. Now. It was the last game we didn't play five at the back. I came away thinking, Christ, we need to. Uh, we need to have five defenders, because, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about Kone, um going ahead and we'll talk about Catamon as well because obviously in defensive midfield that's, that's very important but yeah with regards to how many defenders we've got on the pitch I, I don't blame him I would do the same I would flood that defence I would absolutely flood it because we have been hemorrhaging goals absolutely hemorrhaging goals what can you do about that short of throwing on more defenders I mean Gav says you need to be dominating games I agree in an ideal world, we, we should be dominating. And there's an argument to say that the best defence is offence. So if we're taking the game to them, if we're really putting pressure on them, there's not that much pressure on our defenders, technically. But it just hasn't been working out that way, has it? I mean, <laughs> when we say hasn't been going, working out that way, you can point straight to something like, I don't know, the fact that we needed a striker. You know, he can't rely on the on the forwards that he has to make a nuisance of themselves in, in the opposition's heart. And so... If he's wondering why they're hemorrhaging goals, it isn't just because the defenders are shit. It isn't just because half of them don't care or aren't good enough. Or rather, half of them don't care. The other half just aren't good enough simply. It's a, it's a case of you didn't, you didn't reinforce properly. They didn't reinforce the team properly when they had the opportunity, when he had the opportunity, when the, te- when the club had the opportunity to do so. 
they didn't go for a striker in it. It bothers me even more because he actually came out afterwards and said, and got applause for this, by the way, came out afterwards and says we, we didn't need one. But now look at us. I mean, <laughs> that, that was always going to come back and bite him, really, wasn't it? Even saying that, because any time that you're current, especially when you've got pretty much no strikers like we have, when you've got Vaughan leading the line, that was always going to come back and bite you in the arse saying that. I, I, I don't know whose idea it was to turn around and fight that fire before it had really taken off. Uh, with regards to saying we didn't need any more strikers. It was a bad idea, and it was clearly not true. You can't have a manager coming out and saying things that are very clearly nonsense, can you? I wonder if we should have seen something then. What do you make of that, Gav? I, I just I just find the, the whole striker situation a little bit embarrassing, actually, because if we can see it as fans, why can't they? That's, that, that's the annoying thing about it. I mean, I'm not a paid professional, but I, even I could see after two or three games, we were still lacking up front. And then you look at the results recently. I mean, we scored yesterday, but it was a penalty. Didn't manage to hit the back of the net against Everton with James Vaughan up front, who's you know the first choice striker on the team. Um, yeah, that's true. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, we had Hull, a uh, very well taken goal, but I think it's probably safe to say in that game, our only creative outlet was McManaman, who obviously isn't fit. He didn't play yesterday. Then you look before that, couldn't score against Forest, <laughs> struggled to score against Sheffield United, although we did get in the game. Uh, late on through a Rodwell header, which was what minute from time, uh, didn't score away at Barnsley, didn't score against Leeds. You know, we, we mm. are struggling big time in front of goal, and we have done all season. And to then know that what's our backup plan? Well, it's actually Duncan Watmore who's been out for a year with an injury. Is I just shrug my shoulders and I just think that it's very yeah. short sighted. Should Duncan Watmore be brought into this? Is it fair to bring him into this and to have those expectations put on his shoulders? Well, I don't think he's got a choice, really, Watmore. I think he's going to be thrust into this whether he likes it or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, he played he played 70 minutes today for the under-23s. I was there. I thought he played reasonably well, actually. I mean, early doors, he, he had two or three really decent chances, which he shot straight out of the keeper with. Obviously, this is the sort of level that we would traditionally send our... When we were in the Premier League, we'd send them out to Championship yeah. and expect them to do well. But I thought, he played, I, I thought he played well, though. I think he, he ran the channels well. I, I certainly didn't see signs that he's lost any pace. He was very persistent in putting the defenders under pressure. That He forced most of those chances I'm talking about. He forced errors out of defenders. He was he was running yeah. at them and causing them to flick the ball in behind by accident, which was putting them through on goal and things like that. And I just think if he can do that in the first team once he's fit, uh, he'll be a huge asset. But... I mean, it's a lot of pressure placed on one young player who, in all reality, in a better situation, we wouldn't be throwing him into a situation like this. But that's just the way it is, I guess. He's he's really got no choice. Once he's fit, he's going to be expected and the whole fan base are going to be expecting uh, this one player to suddenly turn our fortunes around, which, whether that be unfair or not, people are going to look at a player like Watmore and think of him like a new signing. We've not had him all season. People are going to want to see him play and... If he fails to deliver instantly, I just fear a little bit for his confidence, I guess, because, I mean, his strength has never been his goal-scoring prowess. It's been his the, those skills which put him in front of goal today. I'd say the tenacity, the, the ability to run at players and, and carve open chances that wouldn't usually be there with a more you know laboured striker like a Vaughan or someone, he will try and get in behind. he try and work defenders. So I think I think it's a, it's a lot of pressure to place on one player, but he, he hasn't got a choice at all. I don't think Grayson has, I think. I mean, I know the press have spoke to Grayson and he's said he's going to, you know, take his time with Duncan Watmore. Um, but, you know, the longer this issue goes on with us, not being able to score goals, not being able to break teams down, uh, he might be forced into activating plan B, which has to be Watmore because he's the well, yeah. only player we've got with a bit of pace yeah. who can who can take teams apart with his own work rate, I guess. 
Yeah, that's that's clearly something that was behind his thinking when it came to the transfer window anyway, wasn't it? It was clearly, look, we've got such and such, we've got such and such, but mm. we've also got what more waiting on the wings and he's got a bit of energy. And he's undoubtedly a talented player. He can certainly contribute. There's no doubt in my mind that he'll bring something to the team that isn't currently there. But we can't rely on him at all, can we? And that's that's the biggest issue for me in what Grayson's done there, especially if Watmore is plan B, then it, it's just the wrong man for the job, Grayson. Because you can't do that, regardless of how little money you've got or anything like that. Not only is it foolish, but it's it's not fair on Watmore. It's not fair on a player like that at his age, at a delicate stage of his career anyway, particularly one with the potential that he has to be thrust into a situation like this. I mean, some people, they prefer baptism through fire, but I would argue that Watmore's already had that. He already came into the Sunderland team when we were already pretty bad, and he did a lot to help us when he could. He still needed refinement, didn't he? He needed to be able to get his head up a little bit more and know when to take the shot, but without a doubt, he brought a lot of much-needed energy and industriousness, something that a lot of the under-23 seem to have. That's the only thing that bothers me. It just bothers me that he's plan B, because I can't think who else plan B would be. I mean, it doesn't look like we're making any movement towards free agents, does it? I haven't heard any of anyone coming in or anything like that, so pretty grim on that front. Um, let's talk specifically about other players, though, namely Kone. Let's start with Kone. I'm going to fire this one at Copley. With Kone's performances recently, I mean, we knew he wanted to leave. We we knew that because Grayson, well, we knew it anyway, but then Grayson came out and said that he'd spoken to one or two players, namely Ndong and Kone, and that he told them that if they get their heads down and graft, then he's got no problem with them leaving in January. So Copley, do you think that Kone has just given up entirely on that idea? Do you think, I think he's pretty, to me, it sounds like he's set on leaving regardless of whether Grayson wants him to go or not. So he doesn't need to really pay that much attention. We're seeing a, a shadow of the man that he used to be. Mm, I just think Kone kind of proves how much of a, a fantastic defensive coach and individual coach that Sam Allardyce was because Sam Allardyce was able to quite easily get his head sorted and, and get him playing good defensive football and he looked like a world beater and since then he hasn't looked any good and I I, I thought it was because because he didn't want to be here I thought it was because he was disillusioned I thought it was because of this I thought it was because of that but in recent performances I genuinely think he's just found his level and uh-huh. if he hasn't got a man like Allardyce, someone as astute defensively, someone as good as him, such a shrewd operator, then he's not going to perform and he's not going to do very well. I mean, that push was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Reuter practically had the ball as he was committing the offence. There was no need for it. And ultimately, it's cost us the game. And, you know, Kone is not a, he's not a kid. He's, what, 27, 28? He should be an experienced player. He shouldn't be making rash decisions like that. But he, he kind of looks like he looks like an immature player. He, he acts and behaves like an under-21 player. So, yeah, in response to your question, I just think he's found his level. I don't think his head's gone. I think he probably does deep down want to leave the club, but I question whether that's actually what's affecting his performances. I think he's just kind of been found out. I agree with everything you've just said there. I think just to add to... The point you made about him under Allardyce, I think Yunus Kabul probably had a lot to do with that as well. You know, you've got to remember how good a player he was for us. And, mm. you know, having a French-speaking def- defender playing alongside Kony probably had him operating whereby he was he was able to breeze through games and have the man next to him taking the brunt of the leadership. We're seeing in, we've certainly seen recently that, you know, putting the captain's armband on Kony, I just do not understand that. I know we've brought it up on here before, but, I mean, he, again, when... When Catamore leaves the pitch, that's the man that put the band on. I just wonder why that is. I wonder whether us fans aren't seeing the, the true side of Lamine Corny as he really is. 
a nice, well-liked person around the dressing room, somebody the players look upon for leadership. Mm. I mean, I severely doubt that, but he's, you know, his performance at the weekend was just abysmal in my eyes. I think the first goal, when you look at how the goal came, nobody read that ball over the top, which went over his head. I mean, I spent a split second there, which felt like an eternity just looking at Coney and his body language when the ball went over his head. He just didn't see it coming. He didn't look panicked as the ball went over his head to the player behind him. I just, yeah, he he wasn't on the ball with that. And then the second one, well, you see, putting two hands on the on the player, just what what's he playing out there? He's, he's got to be better than that. You know, 20, 20 plus million pound defenders uh, don't have brain farts like that very often. Coney seems to have them every week. And, you know, I, I, I kind of worry that would even get anywhere near the money we think he's worth and whether a team would be prepared to pay it in January. So we're, we're, we're sort of stuck with him at the minute. He obviously doesn't want to be here, but we, we can't afford mistakes like he's making every week. It's not just this game. You know, you look back through the games we've played this season, more often than not, he's at fault for goals. I thought thought midweek against Everton, there was a couple of them where he could have done better as well. I just... I don't have a lot of faith in the guy. I think Mark Wilson is as experienced as he is. Um, going to be able to marshal a defence quite in the way we want. We saw Kabul with with Cone alongside him, and I was I talked I talked about it on the site actually. I, I, I kind of wonder whether it's maybe time to push the push the emergency button and bring back O'Shea and just put him alongside Wilson, two players who are familiar with each other in the international scene. Maybe maybe it's time to just pull Coney out altogether. But I, to be honest, I don't see it happening. But I mean, I would be very much for that even just to see whether it helps us to stop conceding so many goals. Mm. Um, maybe to see whether the rest of the team would benefit from O'Shea's presence on the pitch. I know he has his detractors and I'm I'm certainly one of them. I don't think he's anything special, but let's be honest, lads, we've not got a great deal of options there and you know we've tried everything but O'Shea really, haven't we? Yeah, that's true. Well, well <laughs> that's debatable, but yeah, I mean, as much as I detest the idea of bringing O'Shea in, because like you say, we're some of his biggest detractors, yeah, yeah, I, I believe you're right. I mean, Kone isn't working. I completely agree with that. We've got some questions on Twitter. Chris R, he's asking, funnily enough, should Kone be dropped from the first team, which we've sort of answered there. But that also leads on, should Katz be dropped and replaced with someone who offers more to the team? Now, I mean, Lee Catmull, I, I love Lee Catmull. I think we all love Lee Catmull. There's always going to be a place in our hearts for Lee Catmull. But I think it's pretty fair to say that his performances lately, uh, they haven't been up to scratch. Haven't been up to scratch at all. And there's a rumour going around. I don't know if anyone else, I don't know if anyone knows the truth to this. Right before the start of the season, Catamol had been considering retirement, early retirement. And I wonder now, at the time I thought that's a bit odd considering his age and things like that. But that happens, you know, it does happen. Players' legs go earlier than you would expect, earlier than into their 30s. We're not all, they're not all John O'Shea's, you know, they can't all convince people that they should keep paying for their retirement. But yeah. This alleged thing about retirement from Lee Catamol, is that possible? Would that shine any light on the idea that, or on what he's doing there right now, his performances, his poor performances? I mean, he's going to want to play as long as he can and he's, you know, a very experienced player at the top level. But when we, other than the Derby game, we haven't seen anything uh, resembling the Lee Catamol we, we all know and love, I guess. I think the problem with Catamol, somebody pointed this out, he was playing football at a very young age, like 17-year-old started playing for Middlesbrough regularly. He's now what, 29, 30? You know, that's 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 an early start in football. He's he's obviously nearing the end of his career, whether we like it or not. And I'm I mean I don't mean to write him off, but I'm just not seeing anything from his performances to suggest why he should be playing every week. I mean, I was hopeful that going into this season that he would be um he would be the man 
to kind of grab this team by the scruff of the neck, take it forward. But if that's the sole purpose for him being on the pitch, the leadership qualities and the ability to drive us on, then it's not working because the results have been poor. We concede goals for fun. He's the man shielding the back four. He's part of that core, I guess, that's conceding so many goals. I'm just wondering whether it's maybe time to look at something else. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on here that I thought that Hayne and Don can't really play it together. I thought that was evidence again at the weekend. I thought when you've got two players trying to do the same job, it, it, it's counterproductive, you know, on a lot lesser skill to maybe the, the argument used to be about Gerard and Lampard, but there's an example of when two players who are very similar can't play it together. I think on a much lesser scale, you're looking at and Don Catamolan going, well, which, which one of them's doing what job? Because they're both trying to protect the defence, they're both trying to pick the pieces up, except maybe and Dong's a little bit more energetic. Uh, more erratic in his passing, definitely, but I think he brings more more good than harm to the team in Dong. Whereas at minutely, Catmull, I just don't know what he brings. He's not, you know, offering us any protection. He's not winning tackles, you know, the severity that in Dong is, or even would expect of Catmulls, you know, generally. I just wonder maybe we've got to look. I don't. I, I know he didn't bring him on yesterday, but Gibson could he maybe do with a run in the team just to see if he's going to offer us something different. I don't know. I mean, when you're losing games at the frequency we are. You would expect that some change would be made in the side, but I mean, we're only seeing it in cup games. We're only seeing change in the middle in cup games. Ethan Robson got a run out. I don't think he really done much. He looked like a bit of a rabbit in the headlights, I guess. But is it time to just try somebody else? I think so. I just, I would like. I, I don't want to write Cat off. I don't think it's time to start talking about early retirement and getting rid of him. This, that, and the other. I think it's time to really try and find out whether the other players sitting on on the sidelines can maybe come in and and prove that they're worth starting every week because when you look at like what more coming back in um, you would think somebody like Gibson would ultimately benefit from having what more to pick out somebody who'll get on the end of them long balls and get on the end of the, the through passes in behind centre half so I just wonder whether that's something we can possibly pursue in the coming weeks but yeah Catamol I wouldn't write him off yet let's just see let's just see how the season goes but he can certainly benefit from a spell out he looks very tired he looks very laboured and I think he would probably concede he's not playing his best football at the minute so it's I guess the case of how bigger Simon Grayson's balls really is he as he prepared to drop his <laughs> supposed biggest leader on the pitch I mean it could link in with bringing O'Shea back into the team maybe one for one you know the so-called leadership being lost well I think we could probably do with two changes there one in the centre of the park and one in the middle of the defence so it's a case of whether he would actually do that and I'm not convinced he would I think the problem with Lee Catamull, I think the intensity of his game, the way he plays the game, it's become a bit unsustainable. Each kind of charges around the field and he has done for a lot of years. And I think this has caught up with him. He's had a lot of injuries as well. I think he really struggles to play in a two within Dong as well. I think he's far better when he's in a three and he's got a couple of technical midfielders beside him and then Via with a bit of positional sense or a Kirchhoff with a bit of passing, passing ability. So I think he's he's struggling to play in this system, to play in this side with the players he's got around him. And maybe, as Gav says, it's maybe not wise to write him off yet. Maybe he just needs a rest or a run out of the team. But I agree with what Gav said. He he broke through at Middlesbrough at a very young age. He's played a lot of games. He's getting on a bit now. And the, the way he charges around the field, the way he's always, always played, throwing himself in into tackles, 
it can be unsustainable and maybe he needs to kind of reinvent himself and try and figure out a, a different way of playing. And Ethan Robson coming on as well in the centre of midfield, I've seen a lot of, not stick of him, but people weren't necessarily that impressed with him. And I think we've got to give him a bit of time. This is a kid coming off the bench and it's not like the old Man United way of doing things and the way Fergie used to do things. He used to bring his youngsters on when they were two or three nil up and he used to bed them in that way and they would get used to being the winning side. They would come through with confidence. They would come through with good world-class players. Ethan Robson doesn't have that. He's not to come into a, a happy side. He's going to be coming on, expecting to change the game. And it's going to take him a while to bed into that. And he, he's not coming into a side playing well. So I think he needs a little, a little bit of leeway and so do all of the kids coming through. But yeah, on, on Catamull, maybe a run out of the side, a run on the bench, try and get his legs back might help. I wrote an article a few weeks ago and it was just a, th- a thought I had. And I don't know if it would work, but just kind of covering what Gav was saying before about how big is Simon Grayson's balls. In regards to the, the team that he's got there at the minute, we're looking at people like, well, when we came down, I think we looked at people like Catamol as the people that would be like the leader of the leader of men, the, the kind of person that would drag us through this like shitstorm that we're in. But I, I remember, it would, I'm going back a while here and football has changed, don't get me wrong, but we're looking at like 1997. And I remember when we came down, it was the last season at Walker Park, the first season at the Stadium of Light. And I, I wrote about it a few weeks ago. And I remember we got beat off Reading about four and out or something like that at Elm Park. And I remember a few weeks later, really changed the team and didn't necessarily bring in younger lads. He just, he took out like the old heads like uh, Dickie Ord and Andy Melville, Martin Scott, and he, he changed it around a bit. And he, he put Mickey Gray at left back. He, um, he kept Clark in the middle, but he had like Darren Holloway, Jody Craddock, Darren Williams. He, he brought lads in that were like hungry and that they wanted to, they wanted to impress and they wanted to improve. And, I'm not the biggest fan of, of uh, Lyndon Gooch, but at, at least I know he'll, he'll run about and he'll make a bit of effort. And mm. I think, I'm not saying put the kids in because like it's, it's not fair on them, but I think Sunderland as a fan base are the kind of, with the kind of fans where like go back to like Duncan Watmore and when James McLean first came on the scene, if you see a lad that has a goal, it stokes us up. And when we're stoked up, you know, we are like a 12th man, like even if there's only 25,000 of us in the ground. And I think, just freshing it up a bit. We're all a little bit tired of seeing... I mean, O'Shea's been out of the team. And for me, Catamore, like I would take him out immediately. I, I don't think he's bringing anything to the team whatsoever. And I don't know if Ethan Robson is the answer or, or changing it to put all the young lads are in. But I, I generally think Grayson needs to look at the side he's putting out, the system he's playing with, and go, it's not fucking working this, and change it. Because if he doesn't, it's going to be too far gone. You made, you made some bloody solid points there. It just made me laugh. Just imagine him saying it like that. But, um, yeah, With no, no I could, lips. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Absolutely spot on with some of that. I mean, it's funny. You're mentioning the um, the crowd, the 12th man and things like that. I'm going yep. back to it. It happily links into one of the questions we received on Twitter, something that I find what I think I think should be discussed, really. Malcolm Thorpe, why don't SAFC give away tickets to schools, community group clubs to fill the stadium? Nothing worse than a half full stadium. Now, before I actually get one of you to answer that, I'd just like to say, like that, that's very much on point, isn't it? That's very much to do with the 12th man. That's something that Sunderland have been suffering from. As results consistently get worse and worse, yeah, the, the fan base is growing despondent. It's, it's just the way things are. None of us are able to avoid that. No one could ignore the fact that this is happening. What do you make of that, Copley? Uh, the idea of giving away tickets just to fill the stadium? It's kind of other other supporters of other clubs will will kind of get on your back and go, 
you know, you only fill your stadium because you give away free tickets and such like. But I'm kind of of the opposite opinion. This club is a community club or has been historically. It's in a, a working class area, uh, an economically challenged area at times. And I think it boils down to that the club are cheap at the moment. They don't want to give away stuff for free. They're looking to cut costs and giving away tickets to primary schools, to the forces or whatever, or whatever whatever charitable organisation um, is going. The, the club aren't going to do it because it doesn't fit in with the ethos of Martin Byrne at the moment. And mm. I think that's the harsh reality of it. But it's something that I would like to see, to see happen. I mean, this club is a pillar of the community and the community is a pillar of the club as well. You know, they support each other, not so much in recent times, but historically, certainly. Uh, so... I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's something that should be looked at, but I don't think it will be because of the cost cutting that's going on at the moment. Gav, you disagree with that, don't you? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the sentiment of handing out free tickets to to people who would appreciate them, but I mean, it's not the issue. It's a short term problem. Is what we're talking about. I know nine mm. months seems like a long yeah. period of time to go without a win, but there's a big reason why the stadium is so empty, and it's because we lose so many games at home. I mean. All it takes is winning football and those seats will be filled, trust us. You know, we've seen it. We saw it in the, the last time we were even in this league. We had a horrible start under Niall Quinn. Uh, that, that first game when Roy Keane was sat in the crowd, the West Brom game, I think it was something like 23, 24,000 people in the ground that day. And then you look to the last couple of home games of the season of after we'd you know, done so well and there was 40-odd thousand in the ground. I think it just shows that there's a big portion of the fan base there who are just tired of watching paying money to watch a team lose it's as simple as that really I'm noticing it more and more with my friends I've got friends who are season ticket holders who just couldn't be bought to go out the weekend I mean me and my dad were diehards really I mean it doesn't matter how bad it gets I can't help but get to the game but I totally understand why people are, are turning away and that's why when you see these attendance figures coming out like 26,000 25,000 it makes you wince a little bit because you know that's just not true <laughs> like the, the, yeah. the, count, the counting in seats that have been paid for that aren't people aren't filling yeah. Um, you, all it takes is one look around the ground. You see how empty the place is, and it's it's really disappointing. Like it is because I mean the last thing I want to do is turn up to a game and be able to hear a pin drop. I mean I notice small things like not having to queue to get out the turnstiles, no queues in the toilets, not having to wait a while to get out of the ground. It's easy enough just to walk down, especially when we're getting beat because half the place is emptied after that. It's all due to the pa- the poor results, the bad losses that we're that we're suffering. All it takes is a run of games, and that place will start to fill again. But I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. It's nothing that hand out free tickets to schools is going to do. Because to be honest, there's enough free tickets fly around anyways, and you might str- the way we're playing, you might struggle to give them away because people just can't be bothered to leave the house to watch what they know is going to happen. I mean, I, I wrote a little bit about this on the site. It's like you turn up the games now, and you're seeing the same pattern. It's there's no atmosphere in the ground at all. It's flat as a fart when the game starts. The team start full of energy, get caught being daft somewhere on the pitch and we concede and then the game you know unfolds from there and it's it's been the case for not just nine months while we haven't won a game even before that little burst of wins we had last December it was awful we had a real bad run this has gone on for years now I'd say I mean the the the, the stint under Allardyce when we were winning games that Everton match the, the place was full and it was rocking that's what it takes to get Sun and fans back in the ground it's it, there's nothing there's nothing you know difficult about it we just need to be winning the games once yeah. we start winning games again people will turn up I'm sure of it but there's nothing me you or anybody can do about that apart from the players on the pitch and they're the ones letting the place down I mean don't don't get me wrong I, I don't 
believe that given a few free tickets to to primary schools or secondary schools is going to change the atmosphere and make us some kind of fortress and improve things on the field. I just think when you can't sell all your tickets anyway, then what is the point of not giving them giving some away to kind of try and create a positive atmosphere? And one day, who knows, we might actually win a game and you give a ticket to a, a primary school kid and that might capture his interest in, in a like this millennial generation type thing where kids for the first time are kind of choosing their own football clubs en masse and the internet is there and for the first time in Sunderland really in, in my lifetime that I can remember you're seeing kids walking around in kind of Chelsea shirts and United shirts and Barcelona shirts and Real Madrid shirts I just think kind of encouraging kids to um, to support Sunderland and to go to games you might just help them kind of fall in love and, and get that spark that initial spark that we all got when we were first taken, because I can remember my first game, and my first game was uh, a discounted ticket from my primary school. My mum took us. Uh, it was Walsall at home. Uh, we won one nil, and I was I was hooked ever since. So maybe it's a nostalgic thing for me, but I think I think it can help, and it can help provide that spark for the next generation as well. I I think um, I think I agree with what Cop you said there. Really, I remember when I went, we were kind of the same sort of level as what we are now, really. It was 93, it was Wolves at home, and we had, like, Don Goodman, Gary Hours, that kind of team. And But I still remember, I mean, Walker Park was different, don't get us wrong, but, like, kids won't understand what Walker Park was like or an old ground now. There's only really good at something that's like that. So going into the stadium light, it's like it's... Even when it's half full, it's still massive. There's still a kind of... It does take your breath away sometimes if it's the first time you've been in there. So I think it could work, but I think... Going back to something Gav said before about giving tickets away, I, I couldn't go yesterday. I actually had a look after the cats. I know that's a terrible excuse, but it's actually true. That is. Uh, that is. You could have just shot yes. when you could have said anything else. <laughs> true, so it's, though, it's, it's true. a good job you're married because you would never get laid after that. Carry on. W- <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, I was looking for an excuse, essentially. But I was trying to give me a ticket away. And, like, I asked my dad if he wanted to go. And he was like, no, I'm, I've got something to do. I asked my brother. Like, everyone from back home, I, I couldn't give me a ticket away. Like, I, I couldn't give it away. I, I thought, you know, for a tenner, I might get a tenner for it. But trying to give the ticket away and, and kids, like, I, I was offering it to, like, me mum's um, stepson and stuff like that. And he was like, no, I want to go and do something with my mates and all that. Everyone was doing something. It's like, yeah. I suppose, in a sense, if you can get them in the doors, yeah, the kids are going to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love football. You know, like, we all remember that first game. We all know what it was like. But these days with like iPads and Playstations and that, who wants to go and see something get humped off Cardiff mm. or Sheffield United? Like, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I kind of wish <clears throat> I didn't have to. Like, I, I wish I didn't care. But the only reason I go is because I'm, I'm used to it and I had that buzz as a kid. If I had something to kind of occupy my mind, maybe I wouldn't have this depression every week. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe you can stay and look after your cat instead of going to the match. That's fair enough. That's <laughs> <At> it. Least... <laughs> um, coming back to something that Gav um, to counter Gav's point slightly, although I do, I agree with both sides here. I'm I'm very much with Copley in the sense that if they're sitting there anyway, give them away. I should say though, to begin with, this was just a question on Twitter. We don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, surely there are some classes there or something. I, I'm I'm not aware of it being an actual problem. I'm not aware of it being something that anyone's raised. For all we know, they do still stick by the like similar guidelines to what they have when we're in the Premier League when things are a little bit better. Surely they do reserve that, but you can't. I uh, sort of the whole point. You can't really fill the stadium with free school kids, you know. And it's it sort of leads to what Gav was saying as well about the the few, how few people were actually there. And say in twenty five thousand, twenty four thousand, 
and he's right um when you stand in the stadium like now you look around there's not twenty five thousand people there and there hasn't been for some time lucky to i look around and i'd be lucky to get half that maybe fifteen thousand, something like that and that's partially to do with the with the aesthetics of the stadium people have argued that the uh, upper bowls should be closed and we should just focus on the lower tier completely to give more of a, an image of solidarity but Similarly, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that would even work. And going back to what I was originally going to say, 9,000 season tickets, that was how many less we sold, I believe. Like 9,000 t- season tickets were sold before the deadline, that's how many less we sold than we did the year before. Now, could it be possible that 9,000 fans, season ticket holders, were so upset about relegation that they chose not to renew? Obviously, that's not possible. So they're not upset, with, they're not upset about relegation, they're upset about the club in general. So I, I think Gav's right in that sense. Like For as long as we're in the situation we're in, it isn't going to change because little things... I mean, you've got this gentleman on Twitter asking for it like and demanding it, and he might you might see that. You might see that they've given away some tickets, as they might, we don't know, to some classes and, you know what I mean, youth centres and things like that. And you might say, oh, that was, that was a nice thing to do. But then, really, I mean, the counter-argument to it is that, well, they've got it anyway. Like we've got the tickets anyway, we might as well give it away. So then, how much of how much weight does the gesture actually have? And isn't it just so much more lip service? Isn't it just fake PR essentially? Because they're not. Ellis Short's not sitting there and going, "You know what? I really feel bad for all of the uh, impoverished children up here. Let's give something back." I don't think that's the intent of anyone at the club. So no one's going to get any sort of buzz from it in an altruistic sense. No one at the club anyway. And it, as Gav said, it isn't going to change things because people were upset before the stadium was empty. That's why the stadium's empty now. And even even further on from Gav's point, like I don't believe that a string of good results would fix this. I don't believe that at all. I don't. I don't think that even if we had like 10, 12 games off the bounce winning, yeah, you'd get a lot more in. But there's still going to be people there who are like, no, who, people who, who are set in their ways now who've already made the decision that, they're not going to go until shorts gone and things like that. And there are quite a few people like that. That's the reality of it. But I mean, yeah, I just thought that was a valid point to raise. Like in, in actuality, people were already upset and people are going to remain unset, upset until something big changes. And I don't think it'll just be a few winning games or anything like that. I suppose ultimately that's the big problem. I mean, I want to, we haven't got long left now, but I, I want to broach Grayson in general now. Quite well, not quite a quarter of the way through the season. I think, nevertheless, the amount of games that he's managed, it gives us a fair barometer with which to judge him, really. I mean, we can compare him to other managers that have had similar stints, or just in general, really, how things were just before he came in. I'm not his biggest fan. I was very optimistic about Grayson, like all of us. I think there were some people who were, I think Lawson was, um, he was pretty depressed about the whole affair to begin with, wasn't he? Something that I've noticed with him, while I enjoyed having... Well, I enjoyed the idea. I think like Graham said earlier, I enjoyed the idea of Grayson. He was a sort of like a little bit better than a journeyman manager, knows his way around this league, knows his way around the transfers. No, he has a few good connections, you know, and he, he seemed to have all seemed to say all the right things. And he in spite of his spotty record, I would say, in the championship, we were still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and you were tossing around names about like what's our squad actually gonna be like? Well if you put him there and do this with him then maybe you can get something out of it. It's sad to see that that hasn't actually happened. You know, it is sad that this man has clearly taken a gamble. He's left his job. He's 
this job at Preston, which I mean, he effectively could have held for a couple more years. He could have kept that job. It's certainly a lot more stable than the one we've got here. And whether he's been lied to or whether he's just been convinced that he can do the job, maybe is it his own arrogance? Was it arrogant to, I mean, you look at it now and it, it seems like the highest kind of arrogance to believe that you could come in and fix this mess, you know? And I, I think if Grayson actually sat down now and he could sit down with himself before he took the job, I wonder if he, I wonder if he convinced himself to do it or to leave. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on Grayson at the minute. I, I kind of feel like, how would I be feeling right now if I was in his shoes? I think I'd probably be considering your own position. I would. I would be thinking, do I need this? Like, do I, do I, what, I'll get another job. What, what, what's the point in stressing over what's going wrong at this club? It's not necessarily my fault. It's a lot deeper rooted. He's obviously very unsure in his own ability, or he would be setting the team out in a, in a manner in which he, he feels he'd be able to tactically get them to perform. I think he's aware that there's a lot of limitations there. He's aware that this team, um, even before he got here and before he started adding new players, had a, had a, bad losing mentality and I don't think he's particularly sure in his own ability to to turn it around because if he was we wouldn't be seeing bizarre tactical decisions pretty much with every game now uh, like we are and I, I look at I look at some of the some of, for instance some of the um, substitutions he makes some of the timings of substitutions um, just you know very basic managerial I guess decisions that he has to make and he and he flounders on those and he was brought to this club mainly and we all spoke about it he was brought here because we were told that he was a very good man motivator he was somebody that would be able to get the best out of limited players out of players who've underperformed at other clubs players that have underperformed here really we were told all of this before he came um and bar that brief stint at the start of the season where we beat Norwich and came back from you know, being one 0 down against Derby, I'm not entirely sure we've seen any example of Simon Grayson's ability to motivate players. And I know some people think that you know these players are just beyond having to be motivated and that they've got to look within themselves. Well, there is an element of truth to that. Yeah. I think that the players are, are certainly not doing the given their role. I think you know talking about Lee Catamull, for instance. I think for the first time since I watched him play, you know what was it in 2009, 2010 when he first came here. I think that's the first time I can say I've seen him properly give up during a game, like not try and tra- chase people down when, when the ball was there to be won. Um, I don't know whether it's because he was tired or injured or whatever, but there was moments in that game where I felt like Catamore wasn't trying his best. And even with a player like that doing that in your team, you've got to kind of question whether the manager can get these players motivated, which ultimately is what brought them to the table. I spoke about this on the site. Grayson's here because everybody knows he had nothing to work with, but he's shown at other clubs that he can take <clears throat> a small group of players with you know questionable histories within the game, struggling at other clubs, and he's able to make them functional. Now, we're, we're only, like you say before, less than a quarter of the way through the season, but the early signs are not promising. I feel a lot like I did this time last year, and I don't like to say it, but I do. I feel a lot like that. I feel like... Mm. I feel like this is only going to get worse and not better. But having said that, and I spoke this last week on the podcast about this, Lawson was, Jimmy Lawson obviously is a detractor of Simon Grayson. He's not particularly keen on his ability to turn things around here. And while I, there is a part of us does feel that way, I just think that the time's come to maybe just let a manager try and do their job. And because he's performing so badly now, that's obviously going to bring into question his ability to manage Sunderland. But 
let's just see what happens. I guess is my is is my advice to anybody because we've really what else is going to happen with this? I mean, granted, we could replace Grayson, but who with? And I think at this early stage in the season, it would be naive of us to sack somebody already. I just think it, he's got to look within himself, Simon Grayson. He's got to kind of ask himself, do I have faith in my own ability to to turn this around? If I don't, then I would consider walking away from it all. If it, if I was him personally, but. Uh, let's hope he's a stronger man than that. Let's hope he's 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 got more about him. I know I know his assistant manager has had a bad uh, spell of ill health. I know um, we spoke about that happening after the whole game. He took bad and he's been in the hospital, and mm. that's obviously going to change things as well because he hasn't got his trusted arm there. He hasn't got somebody he can rely on. Let's just I guess mm. see whether Simon Grayson has the nous and has the belief in his self to to do something with someone because if he can turn this around then he'll come we'll come out with this a lot stronger than we perhaps could have foreseen you know I think Simon Grayson's Simon Grayson's got he's got to, he's got to you know kind of grasp this opportunity now look at it and think this is not going well everybody's against us everybody nobody really has a great deal of faith in my ability to turn around I need to prove why this football club gave me a job yeah well I mean just briefly to I'm not disagreeing with you First of all, do you think, I mean, you mentioned there it would be a bad idea to sack Grayson. Do you think that that's a possibility? Do you think that we're in a position now as a club, do you think Martin Bain and Ellis Short are prepared to do what they have been doing for the last five years? I mean, not Martin Bain, but what Ellis Short's been doing for the last five years. Do you think that's actually a possibility with Grayson? Understand, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Who knows? No, I agree with you there. I I completely understand. Who knows? Because it's it's impossible to judge with that lot, isn't it? It's impossible to tell. I mean, yeah, Graham, do you have anything to add on this? What do you make of Simon Grayson? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, I think, you know, with Simon Grayson, I, was, I quite liked the idea of it. It was all right. But um, one of my best mates is his wife's um, from Preston. She's a big, big Preston fan. And, of course, the first person I thought of was her. And I said, you know, like, what's he like? Stuff like that. She's like, oh, I'm delighted he's gone. I says, well, why? He did quite well with you. And she was like, he's just negative. He just sits back, like, on the touchline. If you score, he'll sit back and you'll try and defend the lead. And we've seen that at Hull last week. And the worry that I have, again, is going back to he doesn't have a plan B. And I think second of all, and I can only go through my lifetime of like managers that we've had, but I don't think, and maybe I'm like classing something as, as too big a club than what we actually are, but I don't think he's a big enough personality for the club. If I'm honest, the more I'm watching it, the more I'm just like, he doesn't really have a clue. He's got no plan B, he doesn't have to fix this. And if you go back to successful managers at the club, short-term and long-term, Allardyce, Keane, Peter Reid, big managers who, who really stoked the fans, who really understood the area and could build a team as well. And I mean, you can go back to like the Peter Reid era and stuff like that and say you had Quinney and Phillips and all that. But I mean, he plucked them from Nout and apparently that's what Simon Grayson's quite good at. And I don't see him picking up anyone decent. I mean, I know he's had a small amount of money, but none of them have really been that impressive, apart from maybe McGeady, who's been knackered for ages. I think the worry for me with Grayson, I, I wouldn't sack him. I, I wouldn't sack him. I'm not saying that. But I could probably put my house on the fact I don't think he's the right man. And I don't think he'll get us out of it for the following reasons that there's no plan B. And I don't think him as a personality is big enough to change the mentality of the club and the kind of depression and apathy that has been in for fucking years now, let's be mm. honest. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. I don't think Grayson's going to get fired. I don't think we've got the, the funds to do that anyway, to be honest. I don't think they can afford another away for two, three million. I mean, you would think, though, that 
Grayson hasn't even got that, hasn't got any kind of assurances for when he leaves. I mean, that might stand him in, in good stead because he doesn't have that payoff, you know, or maybe he does. I, I don't know. We don't really know the ins and outs of it. Anyway, I mean, that's about all we've got time for, but I probably should say a couple of things because we're all pretty depressed now, and that's understandable. You probably are too. I mean, it is Sunday after all, the day after a Sunderland match. In truth, though, as we just said, as we just finished saying, it is barely a quarter, through, not even a quarter through the season. I mean, things look really bad now, and they look bad because it's been years and years of this. And when we got relegated, even though it wasn't necessarily true, everybody pointed to this being the culmination of constant distress at the club, essentially. Now, while I don't agree with that, I think that each individual season should be judged on its merits, or rather each attempt to stay up should be judged on its merits. It's it's because we've been told and because the greater footballing world thinks that things have been awful and they were always going to get this bad, that we too have started thinking like that. But the truth is, it is just football. It can change instantly. That's part of the reason we love the game. That's part of the beauty of it. We've got Ipswich around the corner. We were looking at short-term injuries before, things like McGeady, McManaman, Williams, you know, sniffles and flu and things like that, essentially. We've got Watmore coming back. We're going to have a much better-looking squad coming up against Ipswich. Uh, I think Grayson knows that. I think this is the sort of situation, essentially, that he's been holding out for. He's been holding out for a time when he actually has striking options. He's he's confident, he understands, well, I say confident, he's confident that he understands his team. He, un- he understands their strengths, but more importantly, he understands their weaknesses. So... In actuality, I think I think he can manage to pull something out the hat. Out the hat. Our away form's pretty decent. We've been good. We haven't been good. We haven't been bad. I, yeah, it's basically people don't be distraught, don't be discouraged because there's always another game around the corner for now until the end of the season. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So yeah, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to us there as well. You can go to RogueReport.com and you can read all the fantastic stuff that these fantastic people and many other writers that write for us also come out with. So yeah, that's all for now. And this is the Rogue Report signing off. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.